0: So we're back in, uh, in Luke. We're in the second chapter. You've heard the story. I want to highlight two verses in that uh, chapter, the sixth and the seventh verse. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then... Turning to John's understanding of Christmas in the very first chapter of his gospel. Chapter 1, beginning at the 6th verse. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and... Through him the world was, was made. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then one verse out of the Gospel of Matthew, this one from the fifth chapter, from the seventeenth verse. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In Dr. Seuss's wonderful little story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Grinch steals the Who's Christmas gifts, all of them. And he, well, he anticipates how distressed Whoville is going to be when they wake up and discover that all of their Christmas gifts are gone. But as he listens for the crying and the weeping and the howling and the moaning, he is surprised to hear people being merry and singing instead, the Grinch discovers that Christmas means a little bit more than just getting gifts. We've discovered over the past few weeks that even though the small details of this wonderful story of Christ's birth, they mean a little bit more than perhaps we realized at first. And words that we've heard and words that we have read this morning are no doubt very familiar to us. But Christmas is all about the birth of a child, an infant, who would change history, who would wrench the world's chronology so that its years would pivot around his birth, would touch countries and cultures and civilizations and untold millions of lives, No one even comes close to Jesus in the opinion polls that ask, who is the most admired person in all of history? Winston Churchill comes in a very, very, very distant second. But however people see him, either as a mere mortal as the or as the son of the most high God, there is no denying that his life has affected more lives than any other human being who has ever lived. His following is the largest single phenomenon in the history of the world. No other religion, philosophy, way of life, nation, or cause has ever commanded the loyalties of billions of people in a single generation like he has. The paradox is unprecedented. He taught publicly for only three and a half years. He never wrote a book, never commanded an army, never invented a time-saving device. He had no religious, political, or business machine supporting him. In fact, the religious and the political and the business machines of his day were opposed to him and gave him a hard time, and yet He became the central figure in all of history. The book that chronicles his birth and his life and his death, the mere three and a half years that his public ministry encompassed has sold billions and billions of copies and is available in almost every single language spoken on earth. It's a story we should know well. And it's the story we have said we should know correctly. So once again, we're going to test your Christmas knowledge this morning. Ten questions. We'll try to make these gifts and easy, but here we go. First, an angel told Mary her unborn child should be called Jesus. True or false? Second, an angel told Joseph that Mary's son should be called Jesus. True Or false? Which gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Which gospel record uh, traces Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Adam? Fourth, how many months after John the Baptist's birth was Jesus born? Five, Jesus was born of a virgin, true or false. 6. Jesus is the only birth considered miraculous in the scripture. True or false? 7. How many half brothers and sisters did Jesus have? 8. The only biblical story we have of Jesus childhood is found in which gospel? 9. By Jewish law, Jesus was required to learn a trade that is some work that he could do that was productive and he could do with his hands. And 10, Jesus waited until he was 30 years old to begin his ministry because people in Jesus' day didn't trust anyone under 30, especially on religious matters. True or false? So let's examine some of these questions and some of their answers together this morning. His story begins with a promise made way back in the third chapter of Genesis. You see, after Adam and Eve messed up and disobeyed God, sin came into this world, and God, in his marvelous grace, made a promise to provide humankind hope and a solution. Genesis 3.15 reads, And I will put enmity between me and you. So God is talking to Satan, to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he, that is Jesus, will crush your head, and you will only be able to strike his heel. It's called the mother promise. It's the first of many promises and many prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And then the New Testament dawns. An angelic announcement is made to Mary and to Joseph, an angel appears to an engaged virgin to announce that she will conceive a child by the Holy Spirit and she is to name him Jesus. Joseph, her betrothed, when he discovers that she is pregnant, plans to put her away quietly. And then an angel appears also to him, collaborates Mary's story and tells him he should still go ahead and marry her. The church has always honored this couple for their childlike faith and for their obedience. Luke tells us of Mary's visitation to and blessing from Elizabeth. Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant, the scripture says, with John the Baptist. He would be the forerunner of this Messiah. It was not only a way to Escape the wagging tongues, but Elizabeth would serve for her as a mentor. And Elizabeth blesses Mary and encourages her for the hard times that will be ahead. Then comes what you and I know as the nativity, the actual birth of the Son of God in the flesh. Caesar Augustus decrees that a census needs to be taken and gives Joseph the opportunity to take Mary with him away from the judging eyes of Nazareth and into the little town of Bethlehem. And while they were there, the scripture says, the time came for the child to be born. And Mary gave birth to a son. And they named him as they had both been instructed, Jesus Then angels appear to shepherds who are out in the fields tending their sheep. And after the birth is announced, the shepherds are invited to come and to see Jesus who now lays in a manger. Shepherds, people stereotyped as thieves, scoundrels, and spiritually unclean, were the very first to be invited to come and to see the child, the Christ, the Lamb, who would be slain for the sins of those shepherds and everyone in the world. And then like sheep following their shepherd, they hurried, the scripture says, off to Bethlehem to see what the angels had been telling them about. Jesus' life and his death is all about fulfilling the law that you and I were supposed to keep, but didn't and can't. And the life you and I are supposed to be living, but don't. Matthew writes, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came and fulfilled the law perfectly. So when the time came, he could be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect unblemished lamb required for the atonement of one's sins, our sins, and our reconciliation to the Father. Circumcised on the 8th day, and dedicated on the 30th day, bar Mitzvah when he was 12 years old. Luke is the one that tells us the only story of Jesus' childhood. Jesus fulfilled every law and every prophecy. So everything that happens, from being born in Bethlehem to the shedding of his blood, from the beginning of his life to the very end, to the finish of his life, was done to fulfill the law and the prophets. Being the perfect lamb who lived a perfect life meant that he could be the perfect sacrifice. Here is the amazing, here is the central truth of Christmas. The baby laying in that manger in an animal feeding trough is our sovereign Lord and Savior. The only one who can fully satisfy and feed our soul. The one who gave up his place in heaven at the right hand of God in order to humbly be born here among us and to live with us. See, the birth of Jesus Christ is unlike any before or any since. And while there were numerous miraculous births that are recorded for us scattered throughout the Old Testament as a foreshadowing of Christ's birth, Jesus is the only baby that has ever been born with a pre existent life. Jesus' life, you see, didn't begin in Bethlehem. He always has been, he always is, he always will be. The Gospels and the Apostle Paul teach that Jesus came from heaven and gave up his place at the right hand of the Father, the creator and the sustainer of our universe. And we profess that, we profess him to be one with the Father at creation. We profess him to be the second person of the Godhood, along with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. We profess him to be the Logos, the word of God, as John talks about it in the flesh. He is the pre-existent one. He is also the only child ever conceived without an earthly father. His conception was, according to the scripture, supernatural. It was miraculous. One of the central and essential miracles of Jesus' birth is that Jesus was born to a virgin, a woman who had never known a man. This became theological bedrock woven into the essence of Christianity, an issue that people were willing to and, in fact, often went to the stake for, and died. For others, it seems to have been a stumbling block. Without an earthly father, Scripture reminds us that we have and are making absolutely no contribution to the forgiveness of our own sins. We're contributing nothing to our own salvation. It's all God's gift, and his gift is wonderful. It's eternal life. He is the only person ever born with a divine and a human nature. You see, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That makes him fully God. He was born of a woman, meaning he shares her nature, making him fully human. And so he possesses all of the essential properties of human nature, like us, in every way, except for sin. Jesus would claim his divinity He would claim it both subtly and overtly. He would say that he and the Father are one. But even more, he demonstrated his divinity and his lordship through his power to forgive, to cast out demons, to heal people's diseases, and to teach with authority. Jesus is the only child ever born without sin. Those born of a woman by natural conception, the scripture says, are born in sin. Surely I've been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, the psalmist writes. But since Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is born free from every taint of sin. So let's look at our answers. An angel told Mary her unborn child should be called Jesus. That's true. An angel told Joseph that Mary's son should be given the name Jesus. That's also true. Which gospel record record traces Jesus ancestry all the way back to Adam? That would be Luke, 3rd chapter. How many months after John the Baptist's birth was Jesus born? We're looking at about 6 give or take a few days or weeks. Jesus was born of a virgin? True. Jesus is the only birth considered miraculous in the Bible? No. There was Isaac and Samuel and Samson and many others all designed to foretell about the miraculous birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. How many half-brothers and sisters did Jesus have? Well, we know of at least six. Four brothers are named in Matthew 13, verse 55, and two unnamed sisters in the next verse, verse 56. The only biblical story we have of Jesus' childhood is found in the Gospel of Luke. By law, Jesus had to learn a trade, some work that he could do with his hands. That's true. The rabbi said, whoever fails to teach his son a craft teaches him to steal. And 10, Jesus waited until he was 30 years old to begin his ministry because because people in Jesus' day didn't trust anyone under 30, especially on religious matters. Now, I would have thought that would be false. I'm guessing you put down false. But apparently, that was already true in Jesus' day. Most worshipers on Christmas are not focused on the gospel's backstory. At Christmas, people seem to be less interested in analyzing Matthew's message. They prefer to celebrate it. They're less concerned about parsing out Luke's sentiments than in singing them less interested in analyzing John's unique introduction of Jesus and more interested in embracing the simple truth that God came to be with us, Emmanuel, in the flesh. You see, the amazing thing about Christmas is that you and I have heard from God so we can know we are loved, so we can be assured we are forgiven. We can lean into hope, all because of a child, child born to a virgin in a peasant's home in a little sheep town. He was Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. He would change the eternal destiny of the world and of everyone who follows him. As Matthew and Luke and John were all aware, it is not enough to just hear the gospel with our ears. We need to hear the joyous story with our heart as well. Our mind must step back and marvel in awe and our soul must embrace this gracious gift of God. We need to respond to it with our whole life. I think even Jesus heard the marvels of this particular story. I would imagine his mother on numerous occasions telling him the story of his birth over and over and over again, as mothers tend to do. The story of an angelic appearance to his mother and to Joseph. The story of the angels in the hills near Bethlehem. The story of adoring shepherds and humbled wise men who came to see him. Here it is. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son. And will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Christ's coming to dwell on earth is both a picture of God's ultimate goal to be with us always and God's means of accomplishing that particular goal, Jesus, in human flesh. In Christ, God himself came and walked and talked and laughed and cried with us, with people, and showed us his great love. By coming to die for our sins, God entered our world of human experiences. He became intimate with us, his people, in the depths of our pain and our sorrow and our questions and our doubts. The Nativity is all about Almighty God sending his one and only son down here to be with us on earth. It's his gift to us, not just for Christmas, but for every day and for eternity. He doesn't want us simply to acknowledge his gift or simply to receive it as information. He doesn't want us simply to admire it any more than we would admire a gift and put it on the shelf and never use it again. God wants us, everyone, to accept his gift of reconciliation and eternal life through Jesus Christ by receiving him as our savior from sin and making him the Lord of our life. Jesus would one day ask his disciples the essential question. Who do you say that I am? And people have answered that question in a myriad of ways. And because of who Jesus is, their answer marks the difference between life and death. Between life here and life forever with him. Who do you say Jesus is? A heavy-hearted postal worker noticed a letter addressed to God while sorting mail. And then he noticed that the return address came from his house, 302 Walnut Street. The letter was from his daughter. Curiosity got the best of him, and he opened it and began reading. Dear God, We are very sad at our house this Christmas. Little Charlie, my three-year-old brother, went to heaven last month. If you could give my daddy something that would make him stop crying all the time, it would be the best thing that you could do for me. I heard him tell mommy that only eternity could cure him. Could you please send him some of that? Thank you. Marion. See, that's why Jesus came, to send us a little taste of eternity for today, tomorrow, until we're with him. So amid our pain and our losses and our daily struggles, we can stop fretting, stop crying, and rejoice in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you For sending Jesus so humbly, yet so profound, so quietly, and yet to the voice of angels. Father, may we find a place for him in our heart and in our life, in our daily routines, in our thoughts, in our opinions, in our relationships. Father, give us a taste of eternity. May we experience it today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.